Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, Mark Lawrence once again for the Against the Spread podcast, kickoff edition number one coming to you for the 2023 football season. I'm here with Victor King from King Creole Sports. As always, we'll be talking a bit later in the show with Andy Isco joining us from Vegas for the Vegas Vibe and our great friend Jim Feist also from Las Vegas with a strong NFL football preview you don't want to miss. And with that, I want to welcome in Victor King from King Creole Sports. And Victor, I hope you're ready for the 2023 football season. And before we get to that, let's talk about what you did in the offseason. I know it was a little bit of a rough offseason for you, Victor, and my heart's out to you. Yeah, Mark. Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a football season that I'm looking forward to probably more than any other. It's been a long summer uh, for my family. Uh, a summer with uh, oh, some sadness, some grief, even some sickness. Back in early May, uh, my mom back up in Ohio, uh, Olga, uh, passed away in her sleep. It was very unexpected. It was a shock to our family, a shock to my 94-year-old father. So that kind of necessitated a trip to Ohio for a uh, reluctant funeral and memorial service. And uh, 14 days after my mom's funeral, uh, my younger brother, Bob, Robert, passed away as well in the hospital. This one was not unexpected, uh, but weird nevertheless. My younger brother um, uh, had an infection on his toe way back in Thanksgiving of last year. And this infection turned into a lengthy hospital stay. The infection traveled all the way up his body to his uh, back, to his neck. He uh, uh, passed away in uh, terrible pain in the middle of May. So obviously for us, another trip back up to Ohio, another funeral another memorial service for, uh, you know, two members of our King family. Um, we do appreciate your love, your support from both you and Colleen. Uh, my wife, Sandy, has been a rock throughout this time period. And then the weird thing is, is uh, once we get into July, after two months of grieving, my uh, brother and his wife, Carrie, that's Kurt and Carrie, decide to come down for a nice 10-day vacation in South Florida with his younger brother. And wouldn't you know it, uh, day two after they arrive in July, we all go to our favorite German restaurant for a wonderful dinner, and that would be the Checkers Old München German restaurant in Pompano Beach. We've been there many times. We've talked about it on the podcast many times. And we brought along, of course, Mark and Colleen as well. The six of us had a fantastic German dinner at this restaurant. But wouldn't you know it, we all six caught COVID from that uh, restaurant experience. And that laid us up for a long, long time. I don't know about you and Colleen, but here we are a couple months later. I'm still kind of feeling the after effects. I know, Mark, that I was just uh, that first 
week of having COVID was a blur. I do not remember anything. And for, uh, it, it, uh, it had me out of the playbook offices for a three-week period in July. I know it was rough on you and Colleen. For Sandy and myself and for Kurt and Carrie, it was our first bout with COVID. So it was uh, kind of rough. I know it wasn't your first bout, but it was difficult for you and Colleen as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a tough time, Victor. We, in fact, uh, the bout we suffered was a little bit more difficult than the first bout. I was a little bit surprised at that, but nonetheless, we were able to soldier through it. And I know you relapsed, Victor. Yeah. Uh, after you uh, tested, and then you tested positive again, uh, tested negative, then positive again. So you did have a tough time with that. There's no question about that. But most importantly, foremost, uh, my heart, Colleen's heart, and everybody in the playbook office, our heart goes out to you for the passing of your mother and your brother this offseason here. And I can only assure you that having been through with exactly the same thing, that times will get better. And they're going to get better just largely through memory. And if you can focus in on all the good things, keep that foremost in the front of your mind. It's going to help you along the way. So, again, our hearts, our hearts are out to you. We love you, man. And hang in there. Right back at you. Uh, my heart is beating heavily with uh, those words and those thoughts from you. And, again, uh, special thank you to you and Colleen, to my wife, Sandy, who's been an absolute rock, and to my new hero, who is my older brother, Kurt, who has uh, gone through a lot in the last couple of years, and he is definitely my uh, new hero. But like we just touched on at the top of the show, Mark, I am like ready for a football season like nobody's business, and I'm ready to get into our all-college football podcast. Yeah, let's do that, Victor. Uh, week number one, officially, of the college football season. Week zero was last week when we had a handful of football games, but this kicks it all off this weekend. 45 college football games on tap this week, and why do I know it's 45? because we just wrapped up the playbook football newsletter and we wrote up 45 college football games in detail. In fact, it's really, really an in-depth newsletter. You not only have write-ups at every college football game this week, Victor does a great job with college football over under totals and what to watch for this football season. I highly encourage you to download your copy of the playbook football newsletter now at playbooksports.com just in time for the weekend this weekend. And Victor, uh, we talked about what happened in the off season here I even went through kidney stones, my goodness. It was like a, <laughs> ooh. wild. Yeah, but we're glad the football season's here. There's no question about it. Uh, I know that uh, you, you've got a little bit of a spin on uh, when it comes to handicapping the football games uh, in college football this year. There are rule changes that you had mentioned to me that you want to convey to people to be aware of this college football season. What are some of those? that caught your attention first and foremost. Right. Three uh, rule changes this offseason, Mark. One major, two minor, uh, especially significant for totals betters, for over-under betters. <clears throat> the three changes are basically aimed at shortening Division One and two college football games and reducing the number of actual plays per contest. Now, they're telling us that the reduction of plays – it's primarily a player's safety concern, especially with the expanded college football playoff on its way next season. But more than that, it's also a fan engagement concern because FBS games are still averaging close to three and a half hours per game these days, while the NFL has reduced to three hours and 10 minutes on average. Of course, additional plays per game creates more injuries and, again, the rules were changed with, with basically two goals in mind. 
Number one, to keep the college football game moving, the pace of play, if you will. But number two is to modestly remove plays from a game. Again, in the FBS, the average last year was 178 total plays per game. If you look at the NFL, they averaged 151 plays per game. So that's a pretty significant difference. And there's no real oh target goal with these changes. Just the idea of modestly reducing the number of plays per game and again, that number one major change is this, Mark, and that is that the running game clock will now continue to run after first downs as it does in the NFL, except for the last two minutes of each half. So what does that mean? And it's going to take us a while for us over-under betters to understand and perhaps act on the impact of this rule change. Uh, most folks are saying we'll see anywhere from Oh, eight to 10 less offensive plays per game. Overall scoring could go down by anywhere from about six to nine percent per game. I will say this in last week's action that uh, week zero, three games went over, four games went under. There was an average of 10.9 possessions per game last weekend compared to 12.4 in 2021, week zero and 12.6 in 2022, week zero. So that basically comes out to about three and a half to four less overall offensive possessions per game. Again, it's going to take our database a couple of hundred games to get a handle on uh, how these rule changes will affect over-under wagering, but they definitely will this season, Mark. Good food for thought from Victor King about the rule changes that are going to be happening this 2023 college football season. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And before we bring Andy Isco in from Las Vegas, Victor and I are going to tear apart our college football game of the week on tap this weekend. Victor, I don't think there could be a better game we can ask for than what we picked out for this particular selection on our college football game of the week. We've got a matchup of two teams that look to be, for all intents and purposes, top 10 football teams when LSU takes on Florida State at the Camping World Bowl in Orlando, Florida. Victor, how do you see this game shaking out? Right, a fantastic college football game of the week, Mark. And you mentioned uh, ranked teams. They are. Now, these are only the preseason rankings, but LSU number five and Florida State number eight. Of course, the game is one of the uh, – there's a couple games that will be played this Sunday, September 3rd, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. You mentioned it, Capping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. Uh, LSU opened up minus two. They're minus two and a half to minus three as we speak and as we record the podcast on Wednesday. Over underline opened at 55 and a half, and we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 56 and a half right now. Uh, last year, uh, let's see here, LSU was an 8-6 and six over under team. That's eight overs, six unders. Their average line, 53.2. Their average score, 57.0. Their average margin was each game going over by plus 3.8 points per game. Uh, kind of similar numbers from uh, Florida State, 6-6-1 six, six and one overall last year. Again, six overs, six unders. Average line, 54.6. Average score, 56.7, right around the same as the uh, LSU Tigers. And average margin margin for the um, Seminoles, plus 2.1. Uh, 
Now, the cool thing is these two teams, they played each other last year in the All-State Louisiana kickoff at Caesars Superdome down in the uh, Big Easy. The line in that game was LSU minus four and 51. And, of course, if you watched it, FSU pulled off that upset 24-23. to The game went under. Um, they led by two touchdowns with nine minutes left. LSU staged a furious comeback with two late TDs, including a touchdown on the very last play of the game. Uh, in fact, it was an 11-play, 99-yard drive that culminated in that touchdown to close the game. However, the extra point on the last TD was blocked. Had they made it, the game would have went into overtime. And, of course, if it went into overtime, it would have went over the total. Because what do they say, Mark? College overtimes are where unders go to die. So <laughs> the OU outcome and perhaps the game outcome, the ATS outcome, both came down to a blocked extra point with no time left on the clock. And in that game, FSU 392 total yards to LSU's 348. So basically – Mark, you got, what, two top ten teams from the South taking on each other. In fact, uh, these two teams mirror each other in multiple ways. Of course, Florida State used that early win last year as a launch pad to a 10-3 and season. And on the flip side, LSU kind of shook off that early defeat to finish 10-4 and and win the SEC West Division, of course, before losing to eventual champion uh, Georgia, the Bulldogs. Uh, of course, each team, as I mentioned, are ranked in the top eight. The general expectation is that both will be even better here in 2023. And another uh, weird similarity is the fact that both of these teams actually finished their respective seasons last year at this very same venue that they will be playing in on Saturday night, Camping World Stadium in Orlando. Uh, finally, the uh, final similarity for me is that both teams feature a dynamic quarterback, each of whom threw two TD passes in that game last year. Of course, we're talking Jaden Daniels of LSU, Jordan Travis of Florida State, a couple of elite quarterbacks who can do it all. They can run, they can throw, and they're extremely elusive. From an over-under standpoint, Mark, number one, we're going to keep our eye on what? On this tropical storm, Idalia, which could very well be a hurricane. That, of course, hit us in the state of Florida today on Wednesday. I'll say this, though. I don't think it's going to have much of an impact in Orlando once we get to Sunday evening. So uh, with a decent point spread and a very low point spread, I might add, uh, the favorite's only what laying, what, two, two and a half points in this game. This one could come right down to the wire, just like last season's game. The most popular final scores in my database queries are like 31 to 30, 33 to 27, 34 to 27. That's in the neighborhood of about, oh, 60 to 64 total points. We will call it a slight lean on the over for now, but once you get to the weekend, keep your eye on the weather conditions down there in Orlando. As we, again, right now at this point, lean on the over in what should be the game of the weekend. Victor leans to the over in the big LSU Florida State showdown football game this weekend with a quick reminder to keep an eye on the hurricane that may or may not pass. It sounds like it, if it's there, it's going to probably pass through. So probably just be a question more about the field condition going into that football game. But nonetheless, keep an eye on the condition of that particular game. 
Now, let's take a look from this game here from a straight-up and ATS aspect perspective on the side. Look at this LSU football team. They struck gold last year when they hired Brian Kelly. I know they paid a king's ransom to bring him in there, but it was well worth it for what everything they did. But they also, if you will, they led a charmed life last year in the, just simply in the sense that they were a three-loss team that made it to the college football playoff last year, the first team ever with three losses to make it into the college football playoff. But nonetheless, a feather in the cap for Brian Kelly on a job well done, if you will, by his football team. You take a look here also at this contest. Look at what LSU has done away from home as a favorite away from the Bayou. Last eight times, they've covered the spread only two times in those football games. And in fact, Kelly himself, when he plays ACC teams and he's a small favorite of less than three points, he's just two and three straight up and against the spread. Now, waiting on the other side of this contest is Florida State, who is a real upstart football team this year. We showed a lot of improvement from this team last year, and they are loaded with a lot of experience coming back this particular football season. 18 returning starters coming into this football game, and they rank real high, obviously, in returning production overall ranking. And the reason they do all this is because last year they improved their offense eight points a game and also 104 yards a game. Their defense also improved last year for Florida State, six points a game and 58 yards a contest. They also happen to dominate LSU in this series. I don't think many people realize that, but the last eight times Florida State's taken on LSU, Florida State's won seven of those eight games in the scoreboard and cashed the money seven times as well. My bottom line to this football game is this. Taking a look at the contest coming into this game here, we talked about the improvement of these two football teams here. Florida State is number four in the country overall in the nation in returning production ranking, which is really, really strong. And there's no team in college football that took it as hard on the chin in the NFL football draft than LSU other than Georgia. Georgia lost the most players. LSU lost the second most players off their roster from last year. So a lot of fresh faces are on this LSU football team that weren't there in this game they played last year. Bottom line here also, remember this, Florida State, their last 11 games when they played in Orlando, they've not lost any of those games. They're 9-0-2 straight up in those 11 football games in Orlando. I'll take the points with the 18 returning starter Seminoles. Give me Florida State plus the points in this football game. Once again, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And it's being brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv. Now, you want to do yourself a favor. If you're looking for up to a 200% sign-up bonus, that's right, you heard me right, 200% sign-up bonus, go online at uwager.lv, Y-O-U-W-A-G-E-R.lv. Use the promo code PLAYBOOK to sign up for your 200% sign-up bonus at uwager.lv, the only sportsbook that I, Mark Lawrence, personally endorse. And with that, it's time to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco in Las Vegas. Before we bring Andy on, Andy had a little bit of a contest update that he wanted to update with everybody. Not so much the plays, because obviously the plays aren't in. The NFL hasn't started, but he's got an update about how many contestants are in these contests here. And with that, let's hand it off to Andy to see what's going on in these contests in Las Vegas. Thanks, Mark. Once again, we'll be taking a look at the significant, the major contests here in Las Vegas each week, as we've been doing for the last few years. The three properties that will be covered will be the Westgate and their Super Contest and Super Contest Gold, the Circa, Circa Millions, and Circa Survivor, 
and the Golden Nugget Contest, which is the one contest in town that features a combination of both college football and NFL handicapping each week. Let me start with the uh, Super Contest at the Westgate. The contest has been around since the late 1980s. I believe 1988 may have been the uh, the first year that they held the contest. Uh, I've been a participant ever since moving out to Las Vegas in 1991, so this will be my 33rd attempt at trying to win the grand prize at the Westgate Super Contest. Uh, formerly the most popular of the contests in Las Vegas, uh, the Circa has given it some stiff competition in recent years. Right now, the Westgate has just under 800 entries, which is about the uh, level at which they were last year at this time. The contest involves picking five NFL selections a week against the point spread. It's a static point spread that comes out in midweek, generally on Wednesday afternoon. So any actual line moves are not considered in the contest. So we've had a number of people who employ the strategy of, well, if the contest line is seven and a half and I only have to lay uh, uh, or I have to lay eight on the board, I'll lay seven and a half in the contest and get what I call perceived value. That's a strategy that a lot of folks have uh, used over the years to try and get the best number when it comes to contest play. Again, you pick five picks a week uh, against the uh, static NFL points, spread the games of your choice. Uh, it's a $1,000 entry fee down from 1500 a few years ago, and it's become uh, still the standard by which most of the contests are measured. They have actually a $5,000 entry fee called the Super Contest Gold, uh, which is a winner-take-only. Otherwise, the regular Super Contest, I refer to it as the Super Contest Classic because that's pretty much what it is for a third of a century. And that contest uh, is one that uh, uh, has been popular. And as I mentioned before, five picks a week and uh, we do 18 weeks or so 90 picks over the course of a season. Uh, that contest this year pays the top 20. Plus, there are about 11 in-season contests. They break the season up into uh, multiple weeks, nine weeks, six weeks, and three weeks. So many opportunities to cash in the Westgate Super Contest. Uh, looking at the uh, circuit contest, there's two contests that have become very popular. One sort of mirrors the concept of the uh, Westgate Super Contest, and that's called Circa Millions. This contest comes with a guarantee. Last year, it was $6 million. They got only about 4,600 entries, so there was a huge overlay for the players. Uh, this year, uh, the guarantee remains at $6 million. Not quite sure if they're going to reach the 6,000 entries that they need. That's a $1,000 entry fee as well. As of uh, midday on Tuesday, they had just over 3,100 entries, so barely 50%, although uh, a significant portion of the entries do come in over the two weeks leading up to the start of the season. Contestants have until uh, Saturday, uh, September 9th, mid-afternoon, to register for the contest. And you do have to be in Las Vegas for all of these contests to register and uh, participate. Again, the cost for the Circa Millions is a $1,000 entry fee. Uh, one year after starting the contest in 2019, they added the Cir Circa Survivor. It's sort of a king of the hill, last man standing. Let me go back and just mention in the Circa Millions, they also have in-season contests based on quarters, a uh, five-week stretch, four-week uh, four stretches. There are four of those throughout the uh, season that have a significant uh, prize money for the top, I believe it's the top five finishers in each of those quarterly or five-week segments. Uh, the main contest, is, contest itself pays the top 100 places uh, and uh, uh, ties, and there is a set pay schedule, uh, unlike the Westgate, which is based on a percentage distribution of the pool, uh, the amounts of the $6 million for the Circa Survivor and Circa Millions are uh, set uh, pretty much uh, uh, 
at the start of the season. Any additional entries they were to get, by the way, above the 6,000 they needed for the uh, uh, for the main contest uh, to meet the minimum guarantee of six million get added to the uh, uh, the quarterly prizes as opposed to the regular contest itself. Uh, in any event, the Circus Survivor involves concept seems very simple. People think, oh, it's really easy. Well, just try it. Thousand uh, dollar entry fee. You pick one NFL game a week. No points. Just pick the winning side. And if you are the last one standing at the end of the the, the period that the contest ends, if it doesn't go the full season, or everybody's eliminated and everybody remaining is eliminated in the last week, uh, then uh, you split the prize money. But it's a guaranteed eight million dollars this year. As of midday on Tuesday, they had already gotten nearly seventy-five percent of what they needed. Fifty-five hundred and twenty-eight entries out of the eight million required to fund. Uh, the contest through entry fees, uh, the expectation appears that they're looking to get between eight and nine, possibly a few more uh, entries uh, than that. Uh, they uh, do allow up to 10 entries in the Circuit Survivor Contest. Again, you have to be in Las Vegas to sign up. The one provision, well, there are actually two significant tweaks to the contest that they've had the last few years. The main, the main uh, uh, it's not really a twist, but provision is and this has been since the beginning, you can only use a team once. So if you use the Cincinnati Bengals in week one, you cannot use that team again throughout the season. The contest, the, the NFL season goes 18 weeks. The contest goes 20 weeks if uh, we have, let's say, an undefeated uh, winner. The, uh, tri the, the twist is that for Thanksgiving week, that contest week is split up into two weeks or two contest periods. The first consists of the three Thanksgiving Day games and the new, newly introduced Black Friday game uh, this year. So there'll be four games, eight teams that you will have to choose from for the first part of Thanksgiving week. If your team happens to win, uh, you go on to the second part of Thanksgiving week, which consists of the remaining Sunday and Monday night games. So uh, we let all the contestants know you better have at least one and preferably two or three of those Thanksgiving teams remaining. So you've got to chart your progress, check the schedule for who plays that Thanksgiving week, and make sure that you save at least a team or two uh, so that you don't get eliminated by default. They employ a similar process for Christmas week. Here the uh, week is divided into two contests. The first part of the Christmas week contest is heavily loaded with virtually all the games that are being played up through Sunday. The second part this year includes the uh, only the three Monday, Christmas Day, December 25th games, total of six teams in action. So once again, now that will be a few weeks after Thanksgiving, so you still make this be, you still need to be sure that you've got at least one, if not two or three of those teams remaining uh, as part of your contest strategy and planning out. The third contest that we'll be looking at is the Golden Nugget Contest in which the contestants make seven picks per week, uh, choosing from the NFL games and the uh, college football games to be played uh, that week and weekend. The Golden Nugget entry fee is $1,000. This contest only pays the top 20 uh, finishers. Uh, they uh, had about 120-something entries last year. Right now, as we're sitting about 10 days uh, to a week or so, uh, a week to, well, a week to 10 days before the entry deadline, which is the Tuesday, September 5th, they uh, uh, have 
just under 100 entries right now. They will probably get close to 120 to 130 if the projections and the uh, forecasts hold true. So we'll be following the results of those contests each week, reporting on what the leaders are doing, taking a look at what some of the uh, top selections were in the previous week. A lot of people like to follow the consensus plays in both the Circa Million and the Westgate Super Contest, and that is the five most popular picks each week by the thousands of contestants in each contest. I mentioned last year, Circa Million had 4,600 roughly entries. The Westgate Super Contest had roughly uh, 1,600 entries. I participate actually in all three contests. People often ask me, because I do proxy work for people who do participate, which contest do I prefer and I, or would I recommend? Again, I participate in all contests, so I don't have a vested interest in any of them. I tell people, if you, uh, if you participate in Circa, you're going up against a much larger field. They do pay more places with a, uh, a larger prize pool for each finishing position. However, in the Westgate, because you're going up against a fewer competitions, roughly uh, just under a third of what they had last year in the Westgate, yeah, they paid fewer places. But if you have a really good record, uh, you have a much better chance of cashing in the top positions in the Westgate than you do in the circus simply because of the, quote, law of large numbers. So those are the things to keep in mind. And we should have some interesting results this year. And uh, as far as Survivor goes, I'll be uh, I'll be up and, and, and forward with everybody. I've had some good success the first few years. Last year, uh, my entry in Survivor lasted all of 59 minutes as the Tennessee Titans uh, were unable to hold their lead against the New York Giants. I don't take much consolation in that I was part of a lot of people who failed with the Tennessee Titans or other teams in week one. Hopefully we'll be able to give it a nice, nice longer run this year and see if we can make it into the uh, time where maybe there are only double digit entries remaining. And uh, that's the recap or the uh, overview uh, for this week, Mark. Thanks, Andy. Great job once again, as always, with an update of all the major contests in Las Vegas. And they'll all be kicking off next week. And each week we'll look forward to the weekly update reports from Andy Isco live from Las Vegas. And with that, Andy, uh, let's talk a little bit about, if you will, we talked about our featured college football game of the week and we featured the LSU Florida State football game. And I know there's a lot of opinion in this game here because there are two very, very good football teams. Uh, my point of contention is that no team probably got hit harder than did LSU with losses to the NFL football draft. Only Georgia had more players taken here, and Florida State brings back an abundance of starters here. I realize there's a revenge chip on LSU's shoulder in this game, but let me ask you your take on this big football showdown game this weekend. Yeah, of course, they played a uh, wild one last year. I think it was, what, 24-23 Florida State went right down to the wire. No reason to think that this one may not be the same. And, in fact, uh, uh, the latest line that I showed has LSU pretty much a solid two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think they're a two-point favorite in uh, some places. It's uh, a neutral site technically, but uh, the geographic location clearly favors uh, Florida State. Uh, I was hoping to get LSU as an underdog in this game. I know they had a lot of losses, as did Georgia. But the funny thing is, with all those losses, Georgia is still picked the number one team uh, to uh, actually uh, uh, do something that's never been done before and win a third straight national title. That, that's a different topic for a different day to discuss. But nonetheless, it just shows the amount of depth, not just at Georgia, but really throughout the SEC, these teams, and you know, it's a, it's a cliche, but it's true. They don't rebuild, they reload. And that's the case with programs like uh, Georgia, Florida State, Alabama, LSU, et cetera. LSU certainly has been a national 
uh, player on the national stage. I do think the uh, revenge motive has some impact, but I sort of downgrade that to the extent that both Florida State and LSU are being considered contenders to play in the college football playoff. One of these teams is going to end up starting the season 0-1. Now, it doesn't mean that a one-loss team can't make it back into the playoffs, but they basically have to go perfect from here on out and have to win uh, their conference championship, whether it be the SEC title or the uh, ACC title. Um, I like the quarterbacking of LSU better than I do of Florida State. I like the coaching of Brian Kelly of LSU, uh, his experience, uh, than I do of uh, Florida State. I'm reluctant to get involved in the game because of the price. However, if this game does go down, I actually can make a case for laying two with Florida State. I don't think any... The, the only result that would shock me in this game is if it's a one-sided game, say a, a two-touchdown game. I expect this one to be competitive and close, and it might very well come down to uh, which team has the ball last, and maybe it comes down to a field goal made or missed. And of course, we know Florida State's wide right has a long reputation, so I don't know if that'll come into play here. Uh, I, I'm going to watch this from, from an entertainment value I expect a high level of play from both teams. Wouldn't be surprised if we have very few, if any, turnovers in this game. So I'm going to take a pass on the game itself, other than uh, if someone wants to know which way I would lean ever so slightly to LSU. That's Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas with his overview on the big showdown game between Florida State and LSU this weekend. Now, normally, Andy, we'd be talking about the line movements that have happened, but we'll begin that next week when the NFL begins its first week of the full season and a little bit more activity in college football right now. And as we do that, we're going to join in also in Las Vegas with our good friend, Jim Feist. And uh, before I bring Jim in here, I want everybody to know that Jim put together an outstanding preview. He previews every NFL football team, every football team, all 32 teams. He does a great job and is all available on videos at playbooksports.com. You can also reach him directly at pb.buzz, B-U-Z-Z forward slash J-F, pb.buzz forward slash J-F, and go directly to Jim's page for any of the NFL football previews that you'll want to see. And with that, we're going to welcome in Jim Feist from Las Vegas, the legend in Las Vegas. We had a great lunch, Andy Esco, Jim Feist, I, my wife, we had a fabulous lunch, and uh, we confirmed the fact that, indeed, Jim Feist is a living legend. Jim, we confirmed that with you. <laughs> Did we not? Well, you gave, me, you gave me a door thing that says, I think, quiet legend is sleeping or resting or something. That's right. That's it's correct. On my, yeah. It's on my door right there. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a great time in Las Vegas, and our little lunch ended up being five hours, guys. So. <laughs> And, and like we, we solved like to all say, the problems of the world. Every problem in the world we solved. Exactly right. For our listeners out there who don't know, Jim Feist has done a great job, a fabulous job this year of previewing every NFL football team in the National Football League this season. And with that, we're going to take a look at one of the previews Jim, Jim did here. It's about the Las Vegas Raiders. We picked that particular preview because Jim and Andy both happen to live in Las Vegas. And with that, I'm going to ask Greg to play that preview of the Las Vegas Raiders before we get back to Jim Feist. Greg, if you will. Hello, everybody. We're back with the AFC West, and we're going to go right down the street to the Las Vegas Raiders, and we're going to talk about what we expect from them. Josh McDaniel is in his second year. Now, when you look back at his career, he didn't have great success unless he was hooked up with 
Tom Brady. Of course, that was the Brady, Belichick, Josh McDaniel, Daniel era. I don't see that happening here. Now, they have offensive weapons. They've got like, they got Myers and Adams and Renfro and J Jacobs they just signed. And Garoppolo is a very good quarterback when he has the right coach. I don't think he has the right coach. I'm not I'm not high on Josh McDaniel. Um, I never was. I didn't think he should be the I didn't think he should be the offensive coordinator or the head coach. Not with this system. However, that's what we have. Now they are in the AFC West and it looks like a very difficult uh, division. The Chiefs, of course, we expect them to win. The Chargers, another head coach that we don't really like. However, and I'll give you this caveat there, is they bring in more as the offensive coordinator. And if he does a better job than what Staley has been doing there, well, along with Lombardi, that could be a big improvement. They have a quarterback, they have an offense, they have a lot of weapons. This could be a very difficult team to beat. But the Raiders also question mark with their head coach. Then when you look at Denver, they have a good head coach, but the question is the quarterback. There's all kinds of questions everywhere. What I expect to happen is the Raiders will finish last in the division. And if it's not them, it'll be Denver. But what I'm saying is that there's two teams that'll vie for the, the division win, which would be the Chargers and the Chiefs. Heavily favored to the Chiefs, in my opinion. Now, let's look at the schedule for the Raiders. They open at Denver, then go to Buffalo. Two different, two difficult places to go and play. Then they come home to Pittsburgh, which is a very well-coached, difficult team to beat. Then they go to the Chargers. Then they play a Monday game against Green Bay. We don't know what to expect out of Green Bay, just like we don't really know what to expect out of the Raiders. And then they play at home to New England. I don't expect much out of New England, so that the Raiders could actually win that game. They could win the game against Green Bay as well. Then they go to Chicago and to Detroit, come home to play the Giants and the Jets, then go to Miami. This is, they play a lot of tough teams, a lot of tough quarterbacks, a lot of good coaches. It's going to be a difficult year. They won six games last year. Uh, I, I think that's probably about their limit. Garoppolo um, has had a, a very good career, except for the fact he gets hurt a lot, and he's missed a lot of time. Now, he came up and he played with the well, – he was a backup at the Patriots under McDaniel and Belichick. Then he got paid real well and went 
to Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. This is a big drop-off from where he came from to where he is now. I don't know that he will have the protection he needs. And if he doesn't, he'll probably get hurt again. He just came off surgery for his foot. Uh, so not a lot. To, you know, when you look at it, people ask the question, what's the toughest division? And a lot of people say the, a the AFC West, which is this division. But I'm not so sure. We have quarterback issues with Denver. We have a health issue with the quarterback here at the Raiders. And of course we got Mahomes and we got Herbert. So we got questions of two of them and two that are very, very strong. I don't think the AFC West is the toughest division. I think it's we have to go to the AFC North as the toughest division. At least that would be the division I would look at as the toughest. As I told you, a great job by Jim Feist previewing the National Football League teams. Every one of the 32 teams you can find from Jim Feist at the PlaybookSports.com website. The shortcut version of the Jim Feist previews, simply log on at PB dot buzz b-u-z-z -Z, forward slash j-f pb dot buzz forward slash j-f it'll take you right to the jim feist page and you can watch any video you want of the national football league as jim previews each and every one of them a wealth of information inside those videos and with that jim other than lunch that we enjoyed there we've got a weekend of football coming on tap this weekend the first full week of college football we got a sample taste of week zero last week any particular thing that stands out to you about the college football card this week? Maybe it's not so much a side, but anything that caught your eye to get ready for this particular week? Well, the one thing is I, I would talk about would be the rule change of uh, the clock continuing to run. I think people need to be aware of that. I don't know. That, I mean, I'm, sh I'm sure, Mark, you could explain it better than I can. But if the clock continues to run, doesn't stop, obviously there's going to be less plays run. And the theory would be, and I've seen some sharps say that it could be between three and seven points less per game. So uh, when you're looking at totals and even laying spreads, if you're, you know, cutting down on the spreads, you're cutting down on the spread differences, which would lean towards the underdog. And then on totals, it would lean to unders. And Victor, I know you, you've got, I'm sure you have a lot of study involved with that. Yes, indeed, Jim. We, we covered that right at the top of the show. We went through the rule changes, and like you say, it could result in anywhere from, oh, 6 to 10% less scoring per game. You mentioned the point scale, so I'm in total agreement with you as far as the totals go. Jim Feist joining us from Las Vegas from JimFeistSports.com. And with that, Andy, any comment you might have about those totals and the adjustments being made in college football this year? It only seems natural that these games are going to be a little bit lower scoring. What's your take there, Andy? Oh, I think uh, Jim summed it up uh, perfectly. Victor agreed with that. The one thing I've not had a chance to do is go through the games of last week to just see how many seconds run off between when the play is whistled dead and the ball is put into play 
you know, that could be anywhere from 10 to 35 seconds, I would imagine. Now, you add that up uh, uh, after a lot of first downs. I mean, what's the average uh, first downs per game is probably somewhere, oh, I'd say maybe between 35 and 45 per game if you figure each team gets roughly 20 first downs a game. That could add up to several minutes of play that we don't have, and that would be, and that's why I think the three to seven point uh, differential you know, it was basically one score per game, be it a field goal or a touchdown. I don't think it'll take all that long for uh, the books to adjust. It may take longer for the uh, casual better to adjust. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And what a wealth of information we have on the show. AI, Andy Esco, the legend himself, Jim Feist, Victor King from the Playbook Totals tip sheet, and yours truly, Mark Lawrence, getting you ready for all the action this college football weekend. And Jim, before I let you get out of here and get to the sports books in Las Vegas, which I know you like to frequent, or at least on your <laughs> app you do, <laughs> any any game that caught your eye for maybe a complimentary play that our listeners might, you might want them to consider? Well, I, I haven't done the, the amount of work in colleges I have in the pros because, like you said, I've been doing the previews, so right. I've been really studying the pros. And there's been a lot of changes in the last couple of days. And a lot of cuts that we didn't expect that happened yesterday and it's going to make a difference. I mean, uh, Zappi just, he was cut, but he re-signed back with the Patriots and that kind of thing is going on. Uh, the, the Trey Lance going from San Francisco to Dallas is probably more of a security blanket because um, of what Dallas of Dak's contract that looks like next year. So, uh, they're going to have to make a decision or pay him a lot of money. And then you go down to Arizona with uh, Kyler Murray. And I believe the way his contract is, is set up, if they, if the team makes the wrong decision and actually plays him and he gets hurt on the field, it could cost the team 92 million. So I doubt <laughs> very much that you're going to see Kyler Murray play at all for the Cardinals. And I think, when you talk about a dumpster fire or a shit show or whatever you want to call it, I think the Arizona uh, Cardinals are probably the worst team that's entered a football season in the history compared to the other teams playing in the history of, of the NFL. Strong words from Jim Feist, the Arizona Cardinals in the dumpster this year, former head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, who was more or less the architect of what's going on there, bailed out. He's now at Southern Cal on the sideline advising, if you will, Lincoln Riley. So he got out of Dodge just in time. But Jim <laughs> says, <laughs> beware, if you will, of the Arizona Cardinals. Jim, great job on the show, as always. We appreciate that. We'll look forward to talking with you next week. We'll get into the National Football League specifically. I know that's your game. And we'll look forward to doing just that. Until then, have yourself a great football week. Thank you, and good luck to all of you. That was Jim Feist joining us from Las Vegas. You can follow all of Jim's selections at the Playbook site at pb.buzz forward slash JF. Be sure to check out all of those NFL football previews. With that now, let's take a, a look to see what Victor has a comment on. There was a lot of what happened, Victor, in the offseason with college football realignment. Uh, it drove the world absolutely crazy. I mean, I, I feel sorry if anybody that lives or plays or is employed in the Pac-12 with what happened there. It was a devastation totally. Uh, your quick take, Victor, before I turn it over to what you pre-recorded on the show about the college football realignment this year. Right. I ran a segment uh, with uh, Greg uh, yesterday in which we covered all the conference realignment changes for 2023 
and also for next year, 2024, uh, it gets a little bit long, but you do want to pay attention, Mark, because there will be a quiz later. Oh, quiz. <laughs> Victor. That's a joke. That's a joke. Now, Andy might want to hang on for that quiz. I'm not a big right. quiz guy, okay? I'll tell you that right okay. now. I don't even like quiz, no subs, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm looking forward to what it is that you had to say about the college football realignment. And with that, let's listen to it now. And here we go, guys. Again, it's Victor from PlaybookSports.com. And here it is. This is what we've been working on here over the last two weeks at Playbook. It's our college football newsletter. It comes out on Wednesday, October 30th. Of course, it's released every Wednesday after 1 o'clock p.m. this week's Playbook Football newsletter 20 big pages you don't want to miss it check it out at the website and since this is a all college football podcast that will be running on wednesday that's what we're going to run through in this short little oh five to six minute segment where we're going to talk about conference realignment what's been going on in college football of course it kind of seems like it's been a non-stop realignment these days and let's run through those conferences as we can. You know, there's been seismic moves thus far in the last two seasons, of course, with Oklahoma and Texas making the move to the SEC next year. Uh, the Pac-12 basically uh, disbanding and a couple of their big teams moving to the Big Ten. Those are the big seismic moves. But let's run through the conferences really quickly here and we'll let you know where all things are in the 2023 season. And of course, we'll go in alphabetical order. We'll start with the ACC. Of course, they've announced no big plans, but this conference is pretty much up in the air still. Yes, in this season, they will continue to play with 14 teams. Their last realignment was back in 2013 when Syracuse and Pitt joined the conference. And of course, back in 2014, Notre Dame also agreed to play five ACC games per season. So they are a kind of a quasi, but not official member of the ACC. But the rumor mills out there that potentially Stanford and maybe Cal from the Pac-12 and maybe even SMU from the ACC might be joining the this conference, uh, the ACC conference. So we'll keep an eye on the potential going on in the ACC conference. Uh, moving on to another Power Five conference, all the action's been in the Big Ten. They've seen the most major changes over the past decade. Of course, you know, Nebraska joined from the Big 12 back in 2011. They were joined by Maryland and Rutgers, of course, from the ACC and the Big East, respectively, back in 2014. But, of course, the big news for the Big Ten, as of next year, They'll be having four brand new teams, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington from the Pac-12 will all be members of the Big Ten Conference in 2024. That's next year. And, of course, that'll push this conference up to 18 teams, the largest conference in college football. And we got a feeling the Big Ten is not done yet. Next up, let's check the Big 12 Conference, another conference in which there has been a lot of teams Coming and going. We already told you about Oklahoma and Texas. They're out as of next year. This is their final year in the Big 12 Conference. They'll be leaving for the SEC. So after losing a couple of teams, what did the Big 12 do? They added some teams. They added one, two, three, 
four extra teams in the conference for this season. BYU, who used to be an independent, will be in the Big 12 in 2023. So will Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida, all from the AAC conference, making the move to the Big 12 conference in the 2023 season. It's going to be a while during the Big 12. And not only that, but next year in 2024, joining the conference, or I should say, should say rejoining the conference, will be the Colorado Buffaloes. In addition, other schools from the Pac-12 making the move to the Big 12 conference in 2024 include Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. It's going to be a 16-team Big 12 conference in 2024. Pac-12 conference. Moving on, let's head out west, but not for long, apparently, because we mentioned all the teams who are moving from the Pac-12. That would be Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon, UCLA, USC, Utah, and Washington. And that basically disbands one of the college football Power 5 conferences. Yes, for this year, they'll be at 20, uh, four, 12 teams in the Pac-12 conference. But who even knows if there will be a Pac-12 conference in 2024? Stay tuned for next year. Next up, let's talk about the big one, the SEC conference. Now, obviously, we know they added Missouri and Texas A&M way back in 2012. And, of course, they will be welcoming in Oklahoma and Texas next year in 2024. For this season, no changes in the SEC. They will remain at 14 teams. But, again, with Oklahoma and Texas joining next year, this conference will bump up to a full 16 teams. We'll run through some of the minor conferences very, very quickly. Of course, I mentioned the AAC conference. Cincinnati, of course, made the move to the Big 12. Of course, Houston and Central Florida also made the move from the Big 12. Joining the conference this year in 2023, Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and Texas San Antonio. That's, uh, what, six teams joining the AAC conference. So the conference will have 14 football-playing members in the upcoming season Big changes in the AAC, as in the Conference USA as well. They've probably had the most movement of any conference this upcoming season, Conference USA, as six teams are leaving and they're being replaced by five other teams over the next two years. Don't forget last year, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Mess left the conference for the Sun Belt in 2022. So in this wacky Conference USA, what is the conference lineup going to be in this 2023 season? Well, let's see. We are adding Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State. That's right. Two FCS teams making the move to FBS. So they will be joining Conference USA. That's Jacksonville State coming off a week zero win last week. Welcome to the FBS. And Sam Houston State as well. Also joining Conference USA this season, Liberty and New Mexico State. And finally, next year, another FCS team will be joining Conference USA, making the move from FCS to FBS. Next year in this conference will be Kennesaw State. MAC Conference, no changes whatsoever in the Middle American Conference. They'll play the season with 12 teams this year. 
as will the Mountain West Conference, a 12-team conference again this season as well. And finally, in the Sunbelt Conference, uh, their latest realignment actually happened last year as FCS team James Madison moved into FBS territory and joined the Sunbelt Conference, while, of course, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss joined from Conference USA, the Sunbelt Conference. And again, that was last season. So there you have it. The smoke has cleared a little bit in regard to the conference realignments. We've got some major changes happening next year in 2024. That is where we are at in terms of college conference realignment changes in 2023. With that said, let's get back to the Mark Lawrence podcast. You don't want to miss it against the spread with Mark Lawrence, yours truly, and the rest of the boys. Have a great day. Like I said, guys, lots of great information from the King, Victor King, on the college football realignment and what's going on in the world of college football these days. It's not the same college football world that we know, obviously, when we were growing up. And with that, Andy is going to bring you back into the show here right now before I let you go. Andy, what's your thought on what's going on with the college football football scene this week? Victor hits on the college football alignment. We've talked about rule changes here. Do you see college football being better or worse right now than it was in the past 10 years? I think as we all grow older, we tend to appreciate the longtime rivalries that we grew up watching as kids. And now so many of them have gone away and will continue to go away. But then to a new generation of uh, sports fans, football fans, et cetera, betters, you know, rivalries that developed uh, out of those long standing rivalries with team switching conferences become the new rivalries that you know will carry those uh, those fans into the future. And, you know, who knows what will happen when we'll have those, uh, I think, four Super 16-team conferences. By the way, do we refer to the uh, Pac-12 this year as the Pack-It-In Conference or (laughs) something along those lines? Because uh, you've got, what, four teams, and we don't know where they're going to head. But it does bring up a a point to to keep in mind this year, especially with the Pac-12, the teams that are left out, you know, the Washington State, Oregon State, uh, I think, what, uh, well, no, Utah's going to the Big 12. Stanford and Cal. Stanford and Cal. If they might have a little bit of extra motivation, then it's not just another game playing these teams that basically cause them to lose out on the huge TV contract. Not as huge as the Pac-12 would have liked, otherwise those teams wouldn't have left. So that may be something that you want to pay attention to. Uh, in we'll, we'll see it, for example, in the uh, uh, in the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas making their final appearances as members of that conference before they head to the SEC. So those are one of the intangibles that I'll be keeping an eye on. Maybe it's worth an extra point, point and a half in the line because of that. But then again, we may find out that, hey, Southern Cal doesn't care if uh, uh, if Oregon's, uh, you know, well, Oregon's will be joining it. But, you know, let's uh, say the teams that are going to the Big 12, they may just uh, – uh, the team, the Cal and Stanford, who are there upset at, they may just go out and pound them by 45 points anyway. But uh, I would think that there will be some situations that where, we, where we will see some surprising results. And afterwards, uh, the players and, and the coach might not bring it up, but the media will bring it up as a, you wanted to send a message to the guys who are bailing out on you. Andy, before I let you get out of here, I know our listeners would like to know a complimentary play on the college football card this week, if you have one. But I do know you'll be publishing – your logical approach football newsletter this week. You can check it out all online, guys, listeners, viewers at thelogicalapproach.com. Andy, is there a college football complimentary play coming from AI this week? 
Sure, I'm going to take a look. We don't know what we see out of these teams. We only saw 14 of them play uh, last week. So a lot of us are going on what we expect to occur, changes from last year. But there are also some intangibles at play that I think may be involved in the game between uh, Northwestern and uh, and Rutgers. Uh, It's been a struggle for Rutgers coach uh, Greg Schiano in his second stint in Piscataway. The Scarlet Knights just 12 and 22 since he took over in 20, uh, uh, I think it was 20, uh, 2020. But he has improved the recruiting and finally has a team comprised mostly of his recruits. Uh, it's, it's a bad situation for Northwestern in the wake of that hazing scandal within the athletic department that resulted in the firing of longtime and very successful, perhaps the best uh, coach uh, at Northwestern since Ara Parsegian before his Notre Dame days uh, as Pat Fitzgerald was let go. Uh, I'm concerned about the overall impact. You know, the, the, the internal issues uh, probably spill over onto the field somewhat. Northwestern's admission standards are high, focusing as much if not more on the student rather than on the athlete, which suggests a lack of overall talent and the depth uh, combined with the coaching change. Uh, Northwestern has struggled in recent seasons. Surprisingly, in the COVID season of uh, 2020, they went 7-2, and two, but that was the uh, aberrational year after uh, Fitzgerald and the Wildcats had great success, uh, really, for the better part of the previous decade. In uh, 2019, 2021, and 2022, uh, Northwestern was just 7-29 and 29 straight up, never winning more than three games in any of those seasons. So, you know, maybe it was time for Fitzgerald to go, but unfortunately uh, not under the circumstances that we would all like to have seen them. Uh, it's hard to see many positives in the program uh, in 2023 for uh, Northwestern, whereas Shiano and Rutgers, who has a nice track record of having build, built Rutgers up the first time, I think the prospects for Rutgers are uh, much brighter this season. The line has gone down from Rutgers 7 to Rutgers 6.5, and, and to me that's a buy. Andy Isco buying the Rutgers Scarlet Knights in this football game as he fades Northwestern and looks for their woes to continue. Andy, as always, a great job on the show this week. And once again, our listeners are encouraged to log on at thelogicalapproach.com to check out information on Andy's wonderful weekly sports newsletter. Andy, have yourself a great week, and we'll look forward to doing it again next week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I'll look forward to it, Mark. Thanks. That was Andy Isco joining us, guys. And with that, Let's hop into my awesome angle of the week, a very popular segment on the show. People who like awesome angle, super systems. I'm a technical handicapper. Everybody knows I'm going to share this one with you. It's a pretty nice one. I call it fun in the sun. And what I'm looking to do is to play in any non-conference Sun Belt team that's an underdog in their first game of the season if they're taking on an opponent that won three or fewer games last year. These disrespected Sun Belt teams that are dogs to teams that weren't very good the previous year tend to rise to the occasion. How well do they rise to the occasion? Let me tell you this. Since the year 2000, there have been seven qualifying plays. All seven plays have won the money. Our fun in the sun play this year play happens to be on Old Dominion when they take on Virginia Tech. And just coincidentally inside the series, they played six times. Old Dominion is 5-0-1 against the spread. So play Old Dominion for our awesome angle play on the football card this week. And before I get to our final segment here, where Victor and I share our complimentary plays with you on the show, once again, I want to remind our listeners out there, it's 200% sign-up bonus time at uwager.lv. That's Y-O-U-W-A-G-E-R.lv, the only offshore sports book that I, Mark Lawrence, personally endorse. Do yourself a favor. They run a wonderful operation over there. Check it out at uwager.lv. And while you're at it, 
inquire about your 200% sign-up bonus just in time for the football weekend. With that, Victor, I'm going to hand it off to you for your complimentary play on the football card this week. And I know you also want to talk a little bit about a rule that you follow here in, when it comes to handicapping college football games about offensive coordinators. So if you would, if it's not a complimentary play, because I don't really feel that there is one involved there, what is your rule about the offensive coordinators and what should we be looking out for this football season? Mark, since you did just mention that Old Dominion Virginia Tech game, I think there's a little bit of value on the under in that game. There's somewhere around 47 and a half, 48 points. Of cool. course, Old Dominion, the Monarchs are running a transitional period these days. Got a new offensive coordinator these days. I think there's some value on that game under the total. But I'd like to take a minute or two and any decent over under handicapper better worth his salt is going to study coordinator changes in the offseason. Offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator in college football particularly offensive coordinator. If you're not up on the changes, you're behind the eight ball before the season even started. Uh, for instance, Mark, maybe the rest of the guys, do you know how many college football teams changed offensive coordinators this offseason? Any guesses? How many offensive coordinators? Well, there's almost one almost every time when there's a new coaching change. So, and I believe there were about 26 coaching changes or so in college football this year. So I'd say we started with at least 25 of them. And then some changes are out of necessity because other offensive coordinators either retired or went to other schools. But I'm going to say, I'm going to put the number at about 40. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? I think Jim's gone, but uh, between 40 and 35 is 37 and a half. How's it look? Guys, how? Oh, there's Jim. Yes, oh. yes. Guys, you, <laughs> there unlike, we go. unlike week zero in college football, you should have bet the over 61 teams oh changed offensive coordinators in the offseason. That's almost half of the all teams in college football FBS. Uh, with that said, there's a couple of teams that made significant offensive coordinator changes. I'm going to start with Clemson, a team who went 7-7 seven and seven over under Garrett Riley, could be the best hire of the entire offseason. He turned a TCU Horn Frogs attack into a well-oiled machine last year. 38 points per game, 456 yards per game on offense. He turned a running quarterback into a Heisman finalist in Max Dugan, the guy who I believe was just cut by the Chargers. And he unlocked the potential of that stud running back, Kendra Miller, who is now on the Saints. Now, Riley inherits a five-star passer in Cade Klubnick, first-team All-ACC running back in the great Will Shipley, and a killer offensive line. More overs than unders this year for the Tigers. Wisconsin, Phil Longo is coming to Madison, and his air raid arrival could result in a jarring reversal from tradition you know, Wisconsin is long regarded as a ground and pound, three yards in a cloud of dust team in the Big Ten Conference, much like your uh, Northwesterns, your Iowas, uh, your Illinois. But Wisconsin could come out smoking big time, particularly in the first month of the season. You know, Longo came from that very fast-paced North Carolina Tar Heel program 
the program that averaged almost 40 passing attempts per game with him. He's bringing in quarterback Tanner Mordecai from SMU. Wow. was a passing stud for the Mustangs. Not only that, but Wisconsin plays four very poor passing defenses in the first month of the season, particularly in week one against Buffalo. It could be a very explosive opening month for the Badgers. And finally, um, Oregon, the Ducks, uh, Pac-12, soon to be in the Big Ten Conference. They've always had top-notch offensive coordinators out in Oregon. The Ducks, Ducks' job is easily one of the most coveted in all college football, and they brought in a, a Wunderkind in Will Stein. That's Wonderkid in German. Yes, it Stein's is. Stein's only four years removed from calling plays at the high school level, but at Texas San Antonio last year, he was a maestro on offense. He ran one of the most dynamic offenses in all of college football as UTSA averaged 38 points per game, 477 yards per game, top 10 offense with a veteran quarterback now in Bo Nix and a fantastic receiving core. Stein has the potential to keep the scoreboards lit up big time in what could be the final season of the Pac-12 conference. So there you go, guys. More overs and unders this season for Clemson, for Wisconsin, and for Oregon. Jim Feist, the winner of the Price is Right over under <laughs> on the college football coordinators on our opening kickoff show. Jim wins the prize. That will be announced next week here on the show. Stay tuned. And with that, guys, before I sign off with my complimentary play on the show this week, I want to remind everybody that this show is being brought to you once again by our friends at uwager.nv. LV, I should say, uwager.lv. Log on now. Get your 200% sign-up bonus. Check it out now, uwager.lv. With that, my complimentary play on the football card this week, I'm going to take a look at a non-conference matchup when Northern Illinois takes on Boston College. I'm going to take a look with the points with the Huskies in this football game. you got to take the points with the sled dogs almost every time they're on the road. They have one of the best road dog records in all of college football, and it has sustained for over 20 years. This football team just plays much better away than they do at home. The Huskies fell from nine wins to three last year, so they'll be focused this football season, despite the fact that their defense improved 57 yards a game. I like that. you got a defense that really played real well last year, but it didn't show on the scoreboard. I think it will this particular season here. They're number 30 overall in the country in overall returning production, so there's a lot of depth and experience in this football team. And remember this, they have that experience because – they played the highest amount of starts made by freshmen in 2020. What does that mean for this particular year or this particular game? It means that all those freshmen in 2020, they're now upperclassmen. They have experience, and that's an experience I talked to you about. They're going to come in here as a very well-experienced underdog in this football game. Take a look at Boston College. They were also nine or three and nine last year, and they haven't gone bowling now. It's been three years in a row. They've beat North Illinois in their previous two meetings, but each win was by a scant field goal in each football game. I'm going to take the points in this football contest with Northern Illinois as they live up to their tradition as a great road dog. Give me Northern Illinois plus the points for my complimentary play on the football card this weekend. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I'm going to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, AI Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com and my good friend Jim Feist from Las Vegas for all of his savvy insight into the football card. 
We're looking forward to working with each and one of the, every one of these guys all season long. Until next week, this is Mark Lawrence once again reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always. <laughs>